The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available pro-access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. And available Pro Power Onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. I tell you that I have seen it thus. There will be floods of such nature that no place on this world will not be affected, and for a long time everything will be beneath the surface of water, and everything will be destroyed, with the exception of the weather and space. After those floods, such a great amount of fire of glowing stones will fall from the sky that nothing and no one will be able to escape this last destructive firestorm. A great flood? Followed by a great storm of fire? Who's this Debbie Downer? Nostra bummer. Is this how the world is going to end? Apparently, uh, Nostradamus thought so. This is a translation of an excerpt from one of his letters. While he's most famous for his prophetic quatrains, published in Nostradamus's Les Prophecies in 1555, he also wasn't opposed to throwing a little doom and gloom into a letter. Who doesn't want to open up a letter to a little bit of fire, a little bit of flood news? And when did he think the world was going to end this way? Some interpreters think that the end times are upon us right now. But should we be worried? Did Nostradamus actually predict the end of the world? Did he successfully predict anything? Has anyone ever successfully predicted the future? How, how many times have major for sure, it's definitely going to happen this time, guys. I promise apocalyptic predictions been wrong. So many times. So far, every time. Why do so many people long for the world to end? Why do we care what they think? Find out on today's It's the End of the World and These Assholes Know It edition of Time Suck. You're listening. It's the beginning of the week. Let's make it suck in a good way, everybody. Turn those Monday blues into some laughing and some learning. I'm Dan Cummins, and this is Time Suck, a little experiment in curiosity that is quickly growing into an international community built on the love of discovering something exciting and new and sharing that little info nugget with the world around you. Thanks for being a part of it. Today's show is all about predictions and prophecies, and I have a little prediction for you. I predict that if you head to timesuckpodcast.com and you look in the shop, you're going to find a third-generation Time Suck T waiting for your sweet Time Sucker ass, Bojangles. He's here. He's modified. He's the one-eyed, three-legged pit bull mascot of Time Suck. 
He's also the head of my research department, a time-traveling fighter of communism, known to roll with Michael McDonald and James Ingram, and he's looking dope as fuck on a time suck tea made out of 213% imported koala anus treated with gerbil saliva for a little extra softness. Artist Adam uh, Rosati, now a time sucker as well, crushed this piece commissioned for the show. Uh, you can check out more of Adam's work at uh, at just another iPhone on Instagram. Dude, so good, so talented, and did such a great job on this shirt. And it comes in both a navy blue men's cut and a turquoise women's cut. So soft, so summery. About time I threw a shirt uh, towards the ladies uh, based on emails. The time suck community has to be about half estrogen at this point. I love it. Sorry, it took a second for me to uh, you know do the right thing and and, and get a t-shirt uh, made specifically for you. Obviously, you can you can wear the men's ones. I know a lot of women do, but I know a lot of other women uh, like to have the ladies cut. Uh, first ge- uh, and second generation tea, still in the store, still softer than your aunt's sweet mustache. Your aunt's sweet, sweet lady stash that gets kissed on by some dude you don't even know about. And still, uh, I have all those uh, signed uh, Daddy Bear books and signed Don't Wink the Bear CDs in the shop as well. Thanks for picking those up this past week. Uh, appreciate those of you also who watched and rated the Don't Wake the Bear comedy special now streaming on Amazon, uh, free for Amazon Prime members. Hope you enjoyed that. And also appreciate you suckheads for the iTunes reviews, subscriptions, recommendations for others to listen, PayPal donations, using that Amazon button on the website to do your shopping. Love that you care enough to spread the suck. Uh, it's growing every week. 700 iTunes review, Vlad the Impaler Dracula. That episode's probably going to be coming soon. Only about 25 uh, reviews away from that. And to those of you who send in pics wearing those Time Suck t-shirts, I will get those posts on social media, I promise. In a bit of a transition phase right now, because I'm a dumb-dumb, uh, the show has grown uh, faster than I expected, and I learned real quick uh, that I can't, in fact, do everything myself. I've uh, been having uh, to tame that control freak monkey that's been on my back my whole life that was fueled by a career in stand-up where you just get to do everything yourself. And, uh, and um, you know, in the process of starting to work with some others, uh, some other time suckers helping with the show. Uh, it's been great in the process of switching all social media for Time Suck away from my uh, social media profiles and over to the at Time Suck podcast on Instagram, Twitter, slash Time Suck podcast on Facebook. Going to have the new Friday, you know, preview clips on those sites for the episodes coming up the following Mondays. A lot of cool other stuff. A lot of, lot of plans. But first, I have to wait uh, for one of my Time Sucker volunteers to get back from traveling abroad. And I don't know when that is because I'm a terrible communicator. Uh, I'm an idiot sometimes, <laughs> and before Jordan, the fantastic Time Sucker volunteer who's been so helpful setting up all the Time Suck social media and doing all the posting on those sites, uh, he took a vacation to Europe. He sent me all the usernames and uh, passwords I needed to log in, but I forgot to switch the phone number on the account from his number to my number. So now when I log in and try and do stuff, it sends a security verification code to a phone that he's not checking in Europe. So, <laughs> going to be a funny story someday. So when he gets back, which I'm hoping is sometime this week, but I don't know. Uh, oh boy, gonna roll out some fun stuff. Can't believe I didn't think of uh, the security switch there. Actually, actually, I can. Those are the de- details I uh, overlook often in life. <laughs> it's classic Cummins, but you know, I'm gonna get it smoothed out soon. And now, uh, time suckers Amber Joy uh, Vialta and uh, Mickey, I hope you enjoy this Nostradamus Doomsday episode. You asked for it, and before we dig into it, let's dig into some fantabulous time sucker updates. First update is from Diane Gallagher, a comic who is friends with some of my friends. She says, hey, Dan, I got excited when I heard the next episode will be on Bonnie and Clyde because my great grandmother had a cool short story about meeting them when she was 11 years old in 1933. Uh, She told us that their their group of kids were walking to school and they were passing by a car pulled off the road that had a flat tire and a man was fixing the flat and a woman was sitting in the front driver's seat with the door open with a big gun on her lap. 
One of the boys told the lady, wow, that's a really big gun. The lady told the kids uh, they, were, they were going rabbit hunting, and did he know where they could find some big rabbits? So the boys started telling her uh, the best place to go hunt rabbits. The kids didn't know that was Bonnie and Clyde, but later the news reported uh, that Bonnie and Clyde had been spotted in town on that road, so everyone should be on the lookout. And that's when uh, Granny saw their pictures and knew the people going rabbit hunting were actually Bonnie and Clyde. This was somewhere in or around Houston, Texas. I love this story. Bonnie and Clyde, police fleeing bank robbers and bunny hunters? Ah, probably not. That's probably just a story they told the kids. Uh, they were probably going to hunt some coins and some, some, some moolah that somebody else was possessing uh, when the kids saw them. Uh, <laughs> but maybe they, did, maybe they did hunt some rabbits. Maybe they had some rabbits too later. Who knows? Uh, I would have been proud into running into those two as well. It's funny, even though I, I find a lot of their crimes morally re- uh, reprehensible, uh, I'd be more excited to see an infamous criminal than I would to see a famous celebrity for some reason. You know, something strangely captivating about those who've chosen uh, to ignore society's laws, live by their own code, and get away with it for a while. It's such a crazy life choice to make. Uh, so daring. You know, not, not good, but, but daring. Uh, also, I mentioned uh, being able to visit the scene of one of Bonnie and Clyde's crimes in Lawrence, Texas, or Lawrence, Kansas, excuse me, uh, an old bank that had been converted to a Teller's pub. Well, Time Suckers Audrey Lobel, Sarah Hunt, uh, informed me that Teller's closed their doors in 2013. And now the former bank is a gastro pub called Merchant's Pub and Plate. Love how you time suckers are everywhere. You know it all. I like it. So don't waltz into Merchant's Pub and tell everyone how excited you are to be at Teller's. Don't make a fool of yourself listening to my advice. And, uh, and I brought uh, shame to my rural Idaho heritage last week with the Bonnie and Clyde episode. Uh, Dan uh, Wenger uh, pointed out that the 30.06 is read as 30-06 uh, when you're a man. That's how men say it. Uh, when you're using, uh, <laughs> you're referring to a rifle, rifle's caliber. God damn it. I shot a 30-06 numerous times. I think I actually killed a deer uh, as a kid with a 30-06, but I forgot how it looked when it was written down. Uh, Louis, uh, uh, Brazil also pointed this out to me. And then time sucker Cole Schultz taught me that a gun's clip in his magazine, two different things, explaining that a clip is an object that holds bullets that you put into a gun that has a magazine. A magazine is what is used when the weapon has an open chamber, such as a Browning automatic rifle, uh, you know, used by Clyde. Cole also said, uh, just want to say, love the show and keep on sucking, suck God. Uh, I don't always read that those parts of the emails all the time, but but every almost every email has some nice little reference like that, some nice nice kind words, uh, even when they're pointing out mistakes I've made. I, I love the spirit of Time Suck, just just good people. You guys are good people, and uh, so yeah, so I gotta up my my man knowledge of of weaponry. It's very lacking. I'm finding out. I also got scolded a bit for something I said in the JFK episode, and you know, and I deserved it. You know, I deserved it. Uh, Dear Suckmaster Cummins, let me start off by saying I'm a big fan of the show. See, so nice. And I've been listening to your comedy for years. But uh, during your countless hours of research on murderers, hauntings, and conspiracies, perhaps you can take 15 minutes and do some research on the Coast Guard in World War II. During the first part of the JFK conspiracy episode, you referenced his bravery and said, it's not like he was sitting on some beach in Boston with the Coast Guard. If you could pull your head out of your ass, perhaps you would learn that the uh, most of the amphibious landing crafts delivering soldiers and Marines to the beaches were piloted by Coast Guardsmen. You may even read about Douglas Monroe, one of the men who piloted a Higgins boat, who after delivering Marines to Guadalcanal, turned his boat around once they realized it was an ambush and placed it between the Marines and enemy fire. He gave his own life, rescuing several Marines, including the Marine Corps God himself, Chesty Puller. And to the Coast Guard that did stay in the states i'm sure they were able to fit in some beach days when they weren't busy sinking german submarines off the carolina coasts i will continue to remain an avid listener but you should never run down a man who served especially if you spent your young adulthood at a liberal arts school love always chuck Seconder. well uh yep 
Yep. Uh, Chuck and I emailed back and forth. I did apologize. And he was super cool about the whole exchange, by the way. And for the record, uh, I didn't apologize for making a Coast Guard joke. I think you should be able to joke about anything. Uh, I, did, I did apologize for not knowing that the Coast Guard uh, was in battle like that, especially around World War II. I didn't know that that job uh, was so dangerous and that they were doing things both domestically and abroad. Um, you know, I still stand by, you know, the thought of, you know, JFK signing up for, for uh, you know, uh, more dangerous kind of uh, military operations, I think, arguably, you know, going to the South Pacific. But, you know, but maybe not. Maybe not. I mean, I, I really, maybe it was just as dangerous uh, to be in the Coast Guard at that time. And even if it wasn't, Chuck's right. You know, it's not like I served in any capacity. So they were all braver than myself. And and, I, and I'm, and i you know, relaying this message uh, to point out, you know, uh, that stuff about the, the Coast Guard. I don't want to uh, disparage a group uh, because of my own ignorance. I really did think the Coast Guard <laughs> was just like fucking chilling, you know. I mean, sure, you had to do some boat shit, but I thought it was a lot of just like having beers with your bros with your, you know, ladies, uh, some fucking Coast Guard bar. I don't know. I don't know what I thought, actually. <laughs> but this message, it's just a good excuse to say uh, I have a great deal of respect for those of you who, you know, serve or have served in any military capacity. I know a lot of you time suckers are serving or have served. Uh, a lot of military time suckers. So much respect for what you do, what you've done. You know, you keep keeping candy asses like me, safe and free, and able to do stuff like this little podcast I adore so much. And I'm uh, eternally grateful for your sacrifice. So thank you. And quick shark uh, shark episode update. I said Jaws came out in 1974 and the movie came out in 79. Adam Irwin pointed out wrong. Uh, the movie came out in uh, 1975 and Adam also had a birthday yesterday. So happy birthday, time sucker. And now uh, one more update, an update that speaks to the best part of time suck, connection of the curious. Subject, our family sucks because of you. Dear Suckmaster, my sister and I have been listening to your stand-up since we were awkward middle schoolers and we feel like we've grown up with you. I am, I am getting old. Uh, we related with your disdain for the general public and aspired to your level of complete fuckery. Mm, like you kids. Six years later, I now go to college 600 miles away from her. A few months back, I found out you started a podcast and lost my shit. I quickly became an avid sucker. I visited home for Mother's Day a few weeks back and now... I, uh, and, and told my now 17-year-old sister about your suctum. I returned to college, and I received a text from her dying about Joe DiMaggio's sex doll. Ah, I hope that's true. Ever since then, we have been on a Netflix-level suck binge and feel like straight-up scholars when we bust out our knowledge of Dahmer's body preservation tactics, <laughs> tactics at parties. We talk every day, and now we have a whole new weird thing to bond over. Listening to uh, all the mighty, uh, listening to the mighty king of suck has made the distance a little smaller, and we feel like we've been listening to an old friend Tell us some crazy-ass stories. Thanks for making 600 Miles just one suck away. Much suck, Jillian and Laney. Well, goddammit, thank you, Jillian and Laney, for illustrating the power of the suck. The family that sucks together stays together. I know that's a weird sentence. Love how much you two enjoy the most demented aspects of the suck. And on that note, you know, way more women write in about uh, than men about serial killers. Never expected that to be the case. But I love it, man. You know, you just can't beat, you know, building up your mind and squeezing in some fuckery fun at the same time. And, uh, and just using this as an excuse to have fun conversations, something new to talk about with the people you love, the people you like hanging out with. I just love that the, I get so many emails in that regard. It makes me feel really good. And, uh, and sorry to the many others uh, whose updates you know, I wasn't able to squeeze in. I know we're getting a lot of them now. And, uh, and now let's get out of these updates and let's start having some more fun, some more weird shit. Let's start sucking on the apocalypse. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. Why are we so obsessed with the end of the world? Why do we want to see it happen? John Michael Greer, author of Apocalypse Not, Everything You Need to Know About 2012, Nostradamus, and the Rapture, is wrong. Uh, he calls it the answer to this problem the apocalypse meme. According to meme theory, a meme is an idea 
or set of ideas that can be transmitted from one person to another. Apparently, it's not just uh, uh, pictures of kittens and other uh, things happening with text on them on Instagram. Um, the meme survives as long as it can remain a factor in someone's thoughts and actions, and it spreads when one person convinces another to accept the meme. What makes a meme successful is simply that it encourages the people who accept it to transmit it to as many other po- people as possible, whether or not it has a positive impact on the people who accept it. With the apocalypse, the meme of the end of the world is near, has passed from generation to generation throughout the history of human civilization. Through time, just passing from host to host, adapting to its current environment, it can be traced specifically back to at least 1500 to 1200 BCE, and it's existed forever since, and many have died at its hands. It's a powerful meme, a powerful idea, and I like that explanation. It just has a lot of social currency. You know, there's a, a strong desire to kind of pass... Uh, you know, the idea of the apocalypse because it's such a powerful idea. You know, it makes sense to me. It's, it's, it's kind of like that. It's like the, um, you know, you can't look away from a, a train wreck phenomenon. Like if, you, like if you see like a bad car wreck, for example, on your way to work, isn't there a good chance you're going to talk about it? The larger the wreck, the greater possibility you're going to talk about it, I think. Like you see a fender bender, probably not going to say anything. But what about like a car T-boned on the freeway? What about two SUVs crashed into each other, head on, windshield smashed out, several bloody lifeless bodies laying on the road, a woman blood all over her head, screaming in the middle of the road. You going to mention that? Fuck yeah, you are. The intensity and the tragedy of that carnage pushes you to share what you've seen. It would be weird not to mention that. What if someone told you uh, about, you know, the ultimate car wreck, essentially, the ultimate train wreck you can't look away from, the end of the world? You literally can't get more violent than that. The ultimate amount of carnage, total carnage, a wreck we're all involved in. I, I just think the intensity of a violent event of that preposterous magnitude is what keeps us thinking about the apocalypse. You know that and guys like, you know, Nostradamus talking about it and telling us how it's going to happen ever since the dawn of civilization. And we listen because we want so badly to know what the future holds for us. You know, so maybe we can somehow uh, work to avoid any tragedies, make it, you know, somehow prevent tragedies that are supposedly going to affect us or at least deal with them more effectively. I think the uncertainty of the future is one of the main sources of stress just for humanity in general. Are we going to be okay? Am I going to be able to pay my bills? Are we going to make it to retirement? Are, are, are our kids going to be okay? You know, is my mom going to be alive next week? Like all that shit, you know, someone tell me what's coming down the pipe. And then someone like Nostradamus, you know, he's like, don't even worry about it. I got this. I got this covered. But then later he's like, actually, uh, we should all be very worried. A lot of horrific uh, uh, horror, just a lot of, a lot of blood and destruction and mayhem and death uh, headed our way. But then sadly, we're even more interested in the future, because it now it sounds bad. It's back to that like like train wreck kind of thing. So uh, anyway, a lot of people have predicted the end of time, uh, but Nostradamus is probably the most famous doomsday prophet. So let's let's kick off this Armageddon episode and talk at, at some length about him, and, and let's begin our examination of him with the Time Stuff timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time suck timeline. Born on December 14th, 1871 in Louisville, Kentucky, Albert David Bentley Nostradamus Jr. grew up the son of a popular banjo stringer and a part-time marionette painter. His grandfather, Lolly Nostradamus, better known as Pop, invented the lollipop in 1945 as a way to quit smoking. Nostradamus was a tall child, over seven feet tall by the sixth grade, but he became a short man, standing only five foot four by the age of 30 for reasons lost to history. What? Wait, 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 wait. That was complete gibberish. Sorry about that. I actually just grabbed the wrong note card. I grabbed a card from the horseshit and nonsense folder instead of the Nostradamus folder. Uh, For some reason, those folders are right next to each other in Bojangles' file cabinet. Born on December 14th, 1503 in uh, Saint-Rémy, Provence, uh, France, 
uh, Michel uh, de Nostradame was one of the n- at least nine children of René de uh, saint Romy and uh, a grain dealer and notary uh, Jacques de Nostradame. Uh, making that grain money, son, counting them seeds and shit. Well, the latter's family had originally been Jewish, uh, but uh, Nostradamus's grandfather, his paternal grandfather, uh, Guy Gassanet, had converted to Catholicism around 1455, taking the Christian name Pierre and the surname Nostradame, uh, the latter apparently from the saint's day on which his conversion was solemnized, most likely converted because of strong anti-Semitic views in 16th century France. Uh, Louis XII, in one of his first acts as king of France in 1498, issued a general expulsion uh, order of the Jews of Provence. Uh, Though not enforced at the time, the order was renewed in 1500, again in 1501. On this occasion, it was definitely implemented. Uh, The Jews of Provence uh, were given the option of conversion to Christianity, and a number chose that option, most likely including uh, the family of Nostradamus. So uh, Michel's known siblings included Delphine, Jean I, Pierre, Hector, uh, Louis, uh, Petra, Jean II. Uh, uh, I love to have two kids, both Jean. Uh, let's, let's, let's use that name again. That's a good name. We like that one. Uh, Antoine, uh, little else is known about his childhood. So I'm, I'm going to assume he spent most of his time jousting, eating turkey legs, uh, watching puppet shows. Wearing hats with peacock feathers in them. And, you know, just whatever else dorks do at uh, Renaissance fairs. Uh, 1517. At the age of 14, he enrolled at the University of Avignon to study medicine and became a physician. He studies, his studies there ended after one year due to an outbreak of bubonic plague. God damn it, we have so much better than people did in medieval times. Remember the last time a university called it quits for the year because of a plague? I'm pretty sure that's never happened during the lifetime of anyone listening to this. They had to deal with so much more shit back then. You know, it's we we students, uh, we are so very pleased to have you all in attendance. You studied so very hard, but uh, there was a problem with the Mises. Uh, the Mises, they like to bite the students uh, too much. And then everybody uh, gets the lumps on their bodies, and then they are very much dead. Uh, they are so dead from the Mises, the Mises or the Mises. I don't know. After school is canceled, uh, Nostradamus becomes an apothecary and extensively researches herbal remedies because the dude loves some weed. It's where his visions came from. No, he studied other herbs. Uh, Apothecaries were like medieval pharmacists who didn't need a doctor's permission to give a prescription. And they didn't have modern medical uh, education. So like ancient doctors, you know, probably often did more harm than good. This is an age when bloodletting was a common medical treatment and when it was believed that a trained physician could distinguish the expulsion of vanity or the signs of a weak digestive system by examining a patient's excrements. Do you hear what I'm saying? Doctors thought you could just like determine things by looking at poop. Just not like under a microscope. They didn't have those yet. Just kind of looking at it, just fooling around with some poop. You know, you're a proud man, Mr. Thurston. One only has to look at your poop to know that. You've got far too much vanity. You're too proud for your own good and it's putting quite a strain on your constitution. Don't argue with me. It's written all over your turd. Your handsome, shiny, perfectly symmetrical, beautiful turd. So smooth, so monochromatic, so vain. We must, we must expose it. <sighs> One can only imagine what kind of testing went on at these medical schools. How, how is your diseases of the stomach 101 going, Nostradamus? Uh, poorly. I received a failing grade on my exam. I, I thought treatment of stomach maladies should involve an allergy test of some sort, possibly a steroid to calm inflammation, but as it turns out, apparently, uh, staring at the poop is the correct course of treatment. In 1522, he enrolled in the University of Montpellier uh, to pursue the completion of his degree in medicine. Uh, Why did they even study back then? I don't fucking get it. There are conflicting reports with respect to uh, completion of the doctorate. Some evidence suggests that he was expelled from the school due to his work with herbal remedies and the school's dim view of anyone who was involved in the apothecary trade. Other accounts say he was never expelled and became licensed to practice medicine in 1525. 
Uh, I love that the med- medical school may have looked down on, on him because he was an apothecary. <laughs> you fool with your studies of herbal remedies. You're not even looking at poop, are you? You savage. Uh, side note, I'm sure that they did <laughs> study a lot more than poop. I know they did. Uh, but they also weren't very good at doctoring. Come on. They had the microscopes, no antibiotics, no x-rays, no scans of any kind, no knowledge of bacteria, no real understanding of what organs even did. Remind me never to visit a doctor if I get sick in medieval Europe. Just I'll just die instead. Uh, well, I would just die anyway. So I'll just die without going to the doctor instead. <laughs> Those are your options. Do you want to die? Do you, would you like to die at home or would you like to die at the doctor's? Uh, what? Why, why, why are you there? Well, that's what doctors do. They let you die. They have a nice place for you to die. They'll kind of poke you around a little bit and you can die there or you can just lay here and die. I'll just lay here and die. Uh, around 1525... Uh, Nostradamus traveled to Italy and France for several years, helping victims of the plague. Nostradamus treated the plague in an enlightened manner for the time, uh, encouraging hygiene and fresh air and the removal of infected corpses from populated areas. This was better than other remedies of the day, uh, which included, you know, being covered in leeches, uh, have a doctor literally just tear a glass filled with your pee. You know, they didn't always look at poop, sometimes they looked at pee. And then they, you know, tell you, all right, we need a couple more leeches. Uh, or, or, you know, give you some equally unhelpful treatment like, like uh, feeding you mercury. I'm not kidding. Ah, yep, you've got the plague. Nothing a little mercury poisoning won't knock out. Uh, Some people actually believe that being extremely dirty could help you avoid the plague, that the sickness wouldn't want you because you were so dirty. Like if you just covered yourself in shit and stuff. It's fucking bacteria. That's, that's, you're just helping yourself get it. I guess you gotta get bit, but whatever. But it's definitely not gonna make you feel better. It's just gonna make you smell worse. Seriously, this, this is uh, why we need to continue to fund scientific education. Uh, you know, it's very important. Education is so important. We do not want to go back to the pre-science days. And yes, I'm talking to you, you homeopath hippies. There's value in your beliefs for sure. All right, calm down, right? Fucking don't get your patchouli all fucking fired up. But don't toss aside all of Western medicine and the pharmaceutical industry because of some of it is problematic or, you know, unethical. Meds are also uh, very good for a lot of people. Uh, Nostradamus became widely known in his day for his invention of the rose pill, which was derived from rose hips, vitamin C, provided uh, some protection from the plague. He had a good cure rate, uh, I'm guessing, mostly because his methods uh, didn't involve, you know, bleeding out his patients. That's how low the medical borrowback was then. Nostradamus was like one of the best doctors of his day because he didn't fucking cover you with <laughs> the leeches for everything. You know, I, uh, I, highly, I highly doubt the rose pill helped much in recovery. You know, just, yeah, uh, 1531. Now, Nostradamus uh, marries uh, Henriette de Casse in Ajon, France, while studying with the noted doctor of the day, some dude who was super good at poop watching. I'm talking like Hall of Fame poop watcher. And they have two children together. But then in 1537, while Nostradamus is helping other plague victims in Italy, his wife and kids die of the fucking plague. Oh, man, the irony. Damn it. If he'd, if he'd only left enough rose pills. I told you to take two, not one. I told you to uh, put the rose pill on the mouse's back and let it, you know, let it take it, let it take it to your mom. Shortly after his family's death, uh, Nostradamus was walking past a sculptor working on a statue of uh, Virgin Mary, and he said it looked like uh, the man was casting devils, which I guess was basically an insult that the sculpture was so ugly it must have been the work of Satan. Well, some old medieval shit talking there. Well, the comment uh, winded up uh, getting old Nostradamus in uh, a heresy charge. Heresy being any opinion or action deemed to be against the interests or teachings of the Catholic Church, and that shit could get you tortured and quite possibly killed. So, you know, he fled rather than face uh, Catholic inquisitors, dudes fond of stuff like stretching you on the rack until your joints popped out of their sockets in order to get you to admit that the devil was behind whatever bullshit they thought you did. I would rather face Jeffrey Dahmer in a dark Milwaukee alley in the early 90s than stand before an inquisitor in 16th century Europe. Those dudes are fucking terrifying. Uh, from 1537 to 1547, Nostradamus wandered through France and Italy, treating victims of the plague, spreading that fucking rose pill stuff around, uh, living for a short time here and there, working on his pills, 
studying the occasional, <laughs> studying the occasional turd, you know, just doing doctor shit. Around 1546, Notre Dame settled in uh, uh, Salon de Provence, excuse me, a town close to uh, Salomé, Provence, his place of birth where he would spend the rest of his life. Uh, Notre Dame also published two books on medical science around this time. One was the translation of Galen, the Roman physician, and a second book, uh, the Traite de Fardmins. Uh, it was a medical cookbook for treating the plague, for treating the plague and, the, and, and preparation of cosmetics. That's right, cosmetics. Because apparently in medieval Europe, combating fatal illnesses went hand in hand with looking your best. Might as well grind up some foundation while you're making those rose pills, Dr. fucking Quackstradamus. And yes, a cookbook. Notradamus had recipes to make uh, perfect nutmeg oil, <laughs> how to uh, bake candied uh, orange peel, how to preserve pears. It's hilarious to me. They just didn't have a lot of books back then, I guess. You know, you had to throw a lot of shit into the few ones that, that were getting published. Just what, what are you reading there, Pierre? Oh, just a little cookbook uh, slash true crime thriller. Uh, slash romance novel, uh, slash tax prep guide, uh, slash blacksmith manual, slash kid's bedtime story, slash diary. Uh, here in Salon, he would meet his second wife, Anne Ponsard, uh, a wealthy widow. They would have three daughters and three sons, all who would grow up to find their father to be super fucking creepy, uh, according to imaginary research in my mind. Uh, the house Notre Dame lived in for the last 19 years of his life in Salon is still there and is now the Notre Dame Museum. Located at Rue Nostradamus, uh, 13,300, uh, Salon de Provence, France. The museum doesn't have food, but there is a Vietnamese pho cafe, sandwich shop, and a, and a crepe uh, restaurant all within a block. And according to Google Maps, an unrated restaurant nearby called Scott Nelson. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. That's on Google Maps. Oh, I'm guessing that's an error, but I'm hoping it isn't. Uh, where's a good restaurant around here? Uh, we were hoping to uh, grab some food after the Nostradamus Museum. Oh, oui, oui. Uh, you must go to Scott Nelson. Uh, no one makes a ratatouille like Scott Nelson. Bon appetit. I didn't realize how much fun I'd have with my shitty French accent. Uh, here in Salon, Nostradamus, he changed his name slightly from the French Nostradame to Nostradamus, but he got made fun of, and he changed it to the Latin Nostradamus, uh, meaning we give what is ours, and also referring to the transmission of knowledge. Well, that's a little interesting uh, trivia. Uh, after marrying Anne, old Nostradamus started doing a, a, a little less doctrine and a little bit of old dabbling in the occult. The exact kind of thing a man of means does who's already seen the world, seen a lot of death, and now doesn't have to make money. That's the kind of thing he starts to do. I think Nostradamus' new prophecies, which he wrote during his days in Salon, had a lot more to do with his new comfortable life uh, than it did with actual visions. You have a lot more time for, for prophesying, you know, when you don't need to worry about keeping the candles on. Some say that he would spend hours uh, at his study at night meditating in front of a bowl filled with water and herbs to get his prophecies like a totally normal dude. I myself have spent many nights like this waiting for Nimrod, god of time suck, to bestow knowledge upon me from his glorious ball sack of divine providence. Just last night, Nimrod told me, Behold, this is your god, Nimrod. Do not stare upon my chibacabra face. Do not look into my eyes that are the sun's. Do not stare upon my Sasquatch body or my black unicorn steed. No, stare upon my balls, especially the right one, and see the future. In one year's time, you will find great... Oh, wait, wait, oh, oh, shit. Oh, that's... Oh, God, that's actually something terrible. You're not going to want to know this. That's, this is really bad. Never mind. Forget I was here. Nimrod demands it. Anyway... Nostradamus would meditate, go into a trance, and then have his visions. It is believed the visions were the basis for his predictions of the future, or, or were they? You know, most, most scholars actually uh, who looked into his predictions believe that Nostradamus was neither a doctor nor an astrologer, uh, nor even by his own admission a prophet. 
he told his son in the letter that he was not a prophet. Uh, he merely believed that history repeated itself and thus projected known past events into the future in cryptic ways. Whatever he was, in 1550, Nostradamus wrote his first almanac of astrological information and predictions of the coming year. Almanacs were very popular at that time. They provided useful information for farmers and merchants, you know, and contained entertaining bits of local folklore and predictions of the coming year. Nostradamus began writing about his visions and incorporated them into his first almanac here and there. Uh, the publication received a great response and served to spread his name all across France, uh, which encouraged Notre Dame to write more predictions. While almanacs were very popular books in medieval Europe, they've been around in some form since the uh, time of the ancient Egyptians, ancient Greeks. They're, they're an annual publication that includes information like weather forecasts, farmers' planting dates, tide tables, other you know d uh, data often arranged according to the calendar. Celestial figures, various statistics are found in almanacs, such as rising and setting times of the sun and the moon, dates of eclipses, hours of high and low tides, religious festivals, you know, etc., etc. Uh, the first book to be superficially referred to as an almanac showed up, showed up in 1267, written by Roger Bacon, British philosopher and Franciscan friar. The first almanac to be uh, printed came out of the Gutenberg press in 1457, eight years before the famous Gutenberg Bible was printed. So Almanac's, you know, very popular books in Notre Dame's day. Uh, Notre Dame, like every historical figure we suck on, you know, a product of his time. It's not like he was some uh, visionary doing something no one had done before. He wrote weird shit and published it during an age when a lot of other people uh, were doing the same thing. And speaking of published books, let's take a moment to talk about today's sponsor, Audible. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible has the best audiobook performances, the largest library, and the most exclusive content. If you want to learn more about the apocalypse prophecies, you know, like a lot more, uh, listen to Apocalypse Not, Everything You Know About 2012, Nostradamus and the Rapture is Wrong by John Michael Greer. I listened to it this past week while working on this doomsday time suck, and so great. Tons of research into the history of apocalypse prophecies and why we're still talking about them. A lot of knowledge. And if you want a little break from research, so much good fiction on Audible. I love sci-fi when I have time to listen to it. And one of my favorite sci-fi slash fantasy series of all time is on Audible, of course it is, Stephen King's Dark Tower series. Seven glorious books, all on Audible. Listen to Roland the Gunslinger as he seeks the Dark Tower, the center of all worlds, to find out why his world is coming apart at the seams. So good. Uh, highly recommend it. And if you were listening to the Dark Tower series on Audible, you'd experience things like the hair raising on the back of your neck. Maybe it'll shiver down your spine. Because with an audible sci-fi performance so powerful, you can feel transported to another dimension, even while sitting in traffic. And you know I'm all about other dimensions, I'm talking about them on this show. So start a 30-day trial, and your first audible book is free. Learn more at audible.com slash timesuck. That's audible.com slash timesuck, T-I-M-E-S-U-C-K. So get in on that. And by 1554... Nostradamus' visions had become an integral part of his works in the almanacs, and he decided to channel all his energies into a massive opus he entitled Centuries. He planned to write 10 volumes, which would contain 100 predictions forecasting the next 2,000 years. In 1555, he published uh, Les Prophecies, a collection of his major long-term predictions, possibly feeling vulnerable to religious persecution. He devised a method of obscuring the prophecies' meanings by using quatrains, rhymed four-line verses, and a mixture of other languages such as Greek, Italian, Latin, and a, a provincial uh, dialect of southern France. Why so many languages? Well, because it helped cloud his messages from the Catholic Church, helped hide it somehow. Uh, you know, the fact that he was making predictions, which, you know, the church didn't care for. He was also worried about being tortured and killed by the church for, you know, sharing his visions. Uh, is, is believed he never faced uh, prosecution for heresy, you know, by the Inquisition, because I guess he didn't extend his writings to the practice of magic. Uh, I guess that was the line. 
back then. You can talk about weird, vague shit if you write it in four-line rhyming quatrains of various languages, but do not mention magic or the practice of magic or we'll have to burn you alive. Rules are rules. Uh, Notre Dame ran into some controversy with his predictions uh, as some thought he was a servant of the devil, so there was speculation about him, you know, with his uh, interest in the occult, and others said he was fake, Others said he was insane. Uh, however, uh, many more believed the pro uh, prophecies were spiritually inspired. He became famous and in demand by many of Europe's elite. Catherine de' Medici, the wife of King Henry II of France and member of the rich and powerful Medici family, was one of Nostradamus's greatest admirers after reading his almanacs of 1555, where he hinted at unnamed threats to her family. She summoned him to Paris to explain and draw up horoscopes for her children. That's how you get ahead in life. You, you do vague threats against the royalty. And they're like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you talking about? How do we prevent this? Actually, don't do that. Uh, don't threaten people in power. Uh, <laughs> usually doesn't work out well. Uh, a few years later, uh, she made him counselor and physician in ordinary to King Henry's court in 1556 while serving in this capacity. Nostradamus also explained another prophecy from centuries one, which was assumed to refer to King Henry. The prophecy of a young lion who would overcome an older one in the field of battle. The young lion would pierce the eye of the older one and, would, and, and he would die in a cruel death. Nostradamus warned the king he should, he should avoid ceremonial jousting, supposedly. Uh, three years later, when King Henry was 41 years old, he died in a jousting match when a lance from his opponent pierced the king's visor and entered his head behind the eye deep into his brain. Uh, he held on to life for 10 agonizing days before finally dying of an infection and uh, from living in an age when no one knew how to heal head wounds. His head is bleeding profusely. Quick, uh, stare at his poop and tell us what we should do, doctor. Nostradamus claimed uh, to base his published predictions on judicial astrology, the art of forecasting future events by calculation of the planets and stellar bodies in relationship to the Earth. His sources included passages from classical historians like Plutarch, as well as uh, medieval chronicles or chroniclers uh, from whom he seemed to have borrow, uh, borrowed liberally. In fact, many scholars believe he paraphrased, paraphrased ancient end-of-the-world prophecies, mainly from the Bible, and then through astrological readings of the past, projected these events into the future, as I mentioned earlier. So it's just like a very fucking convoluted way to come up with these weird quatrains. Uh, <laughs> and, and maybe he did earlier. I kind of said, you know, about warning the king that, like, maybe he, did, maybe he did warn the king not to joust. But he also probably warned him about, like, a thousand other things that didn't kill him. I, I don't know, that's my thought on it. In 1566, Nostradamus suffered from gout and arthritis uh, from much of his adult life, he had been suffering. In the last years of his life, the condition turned into edema or dropsy where abnormal amounts of fluid accumulate beneath the skin or within cavities of the body. Sounds horrible. Uh, without treatment, the condition results in congestive heart failure, which it did for him in late June of 1566. Nostradamus asked to see his lawyer to drop an extensive will, leaving much of his estate to his wife and kids. On the evening of July 1st, he's alleged to have told his secretary, Jean de Chavigny, uh, you will not find me alive at sunrise. And then the next morning, he was reportedly found dead lying on the floor next to his bed. Now, did he really do that? Who knows? It's hearsay. I doubt it. Or if he did do it, he'd been doing that every night for like six months. He was very, very sick. I, I don't think I'll make it till tomorrow. And then he makes it. And then I, I'll be dead in the morning. And then he's alive. But then one time, you will not find me alive at sunrise. And then, oh, God, he's, he, he really died. He really died. Who, who, who saw that coming? Uh, everyone who looked at him with his fucking fluid sacks in his body and his dropsy condition. Everyone had been seen for months. I don't know. Most of the quatrains Nostradamus composed during his life uh, dealt with disasters such as plagues, earthquakes, wars, floods, invasions, murders, droughts, battles. Nostradamus enthusiasts have credited him with predicting numerous events in world history, including the French Revolution, the rise of Napoleon and Hitler, the development of the atomic bomb, 
the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks in the World Trade Center. Notre Dame's popularity seems to be due in part to the fact that the vagueness of his writings and their lack of specific dates makes it easy to be to kind of selectively quote them. Uh, for, you know, and throw them upon any major dramatic event and retrospectively claim that them is true. Whether his method uh, or intentions, or whatever his method or intentions, Nostradamus's timeless predictions continue to make him popular to those seeking answers to life's more difficult questions. Uh, well, let's hop out of this timeline and look at these predictions that are apparently ma making sense of life to some a little more closely. Good job, soldier. You made it back. Barely. Okay, so let's take a look at this uh, Notre Dame's, uh, some of his predictions, translated as best people could from the four original languages to, to modern English and, and have them still rhyme. Uh, King Henry II prophecy, let's look, let's look at that one first. This is the one, you know, predicting this dude's death uh, in jousting. <laughs> uh, this, this supposedly was like, duh, see, if you would have listened, look at what I told you was going to happen. It says, the young lion shall overcome the old on field of battle by single duel. He'll smash his eyes with a casing of gold. Two fleets won, then to die, a death cruel. Okay, okay, first off, let's think about how this dude made roughly a thousand of these quatrains, published together in a book, The Prophecies. First published in a book of 353 quatrains in 1555. Uh, by 1568, shortly after his death, the book would contain about uh, 942 quatrains. You know, you say enough cryptic things. Some of them are bound to remind people of actual events in some way. I, I, could, I could do that. I, I could do that, and I have. Check this out. This is a quatrain I just divinely received from Nimrod. Fire winds ravage the mountain's hide. Not all will feel water's healing touch. The stars won't be seen outside. Many will die and not feel good in such. Remember this prophecy, time suckers. And then when there's a drought and corresponding wildfire, the kind of thing that happens almost every year somewhere, uh, an event that puts enough smoke into the sky to hide the stars, and then some die and some get hurt in the fires because that's what fucking fires do, you think of this and behold the power of Nimrod and his divine prophet me. But seriously, uh, Nostradamus uh, never mentioned a joust in that quatrain. Never mentioned a king. Definitely never mentioned King Henry specifically. Come on. This, that, was, that one's a stretch. I feel like that one's a stretch. One of it, one, now, but let's look at the Hitler one. This is quatrain from the second century, 24. One of Nostradamus' most famous predictions. is supposedly predicting Hitler with the 24th quatrain of his second century group. What if I talk like that for the whole podcast? I bet I'd have five listeners within a month. If I just talk like this for the whole time saying things in this uh, overly dramatic voice and taking interesting pauses and breaths and things into the microphone that would drive one insane. Okay, but this is his big one. This is one of Notre Dame's uh, ones that gets quoted a lot. And this says, Beasts ferocious with hunger will swim across the rivers. Greater part of the army will, begin, will be against Hister. The Great One will cause him to be dragged in a cage of iron. When the German infant observes no law. Now, I kind, of, I kind of messed up on that one, you know, but it's beast ferocious with hunger will swim across the rivers. Greater part of the army will be against Hister. The great one will cause him to be dragged in a cage of iron when the German infant observes no law. Hister sounds a lot like Hitler, right? I mean, he must have meant Hitler. He said Hister. This one sounds legit. No, it doesn't. No, it does not. He was talking about the ger great German river of the Danube. Hister is a Latin name for that same river a river known to Nostradamus and any other scholar in Europe at that time, big river, a lot of people lived around. Hister was uh, also the name for the people who lived along its banks. He's talking about fucking river. 
Talking about the Danube River. But this is how the fine people at NostradamusUSA.com interpret it. Beasts ferocious with hunger, suggesting Adolf Hitler and the German army will will swim across rivers and borders. The greater part of the army, suggesting the French and Allied armies, will be against Hister, a clever allusion to Adolf Hitler. Nostradamus misspelled Hitler's name by one letter. This is one of his remarkable name choices with most people, which most people agree is far beyond just coincidence. Perhaps Nostradamus is teasing us here. The Great One, suggesting the Allies, will cause him, Hitler, to be dragged in a cage of iron when the German infant, Hitler, and Nazism observes no law. What a fucking stretch! All right. If anyone listening runs the website, NostradamusUSA.com, listen up, fuckhead. You're wrong. All right? Pull your head out of your ass. Was Hitler dragged in a cage of iron? No, he killed himself. Right? Uh, you pull the Allied and French armies out of the greater part of the army. Come on, that could be a reference to any bigger army in literally any b- b- battle throughout human history. It, and this is one of Nostradamus's best prophecies. Disappointing, Nostradamus. But the dude has name recognition, so, you know, bullshit TV networks like the History Channel spin obvious fucking nonsense into supposed fact. I hate the term fake news. We have a lot of misleading cable channels. I was watching some History History Channel Nostradamus uh, documentary in preparation for this episode. I watched about 10 minutes, and I was like, come on. They just talked with a dramatic voice. Nostradamus would speak of fire and devils and pestilence and plague destroying the earth. Will it be coming for us? Will it be uh, this time? Are the signs with us now? They just get so fucking dramatic, and it's based on nonsense. You know, you know, we get we live in the age where the Learning Channel, you know, doesn't care about education. They have shows called My Big Fat Fabulous Life and Long Island Medium, for fuck's sake. And they'll present a prophecy with a word like hister to their audience, allude strongly, or just say outright that it clearly meant Hitler, but then leave out the part about it being the Latin word for the Danube River. Because you know what? That kind of just fucking kills it, and it doesn't fit with the narrative they think is going to get them the best ratings. You know, it's like if, you know... It's like if some tyrant in, a, in in America happened to have the same last name as uh, of the Mississippi River. His last name was Mississippi, and then he started doing horrible shit. And then suddenly everyone's like, "Mark Twain saw this coming. When he said Mississippi in his books, he meant this guy instead of the river he spent a lot of time on." Okay, but then there's the uh, Louis Pasteur uh, quatrain. All right, let's talk about that one. This is this is supposedly his most accurate one. Check out this is one that goes: "The unseen is revealed, hidden for such a long time." He will, Pasteur, as a demigod, be honored. This is when the moon completes her great cycle, but through slander by others, he will be dishonored. Here's how a believer has interpreted this. Louis Pasteur, Pasteur will be celebrated, is credited with discovering uh, microbial decay. You know, lost thing is discovered, hidden for many centuries. In 1995, the science historian uh, Gerald L. Geisen ran a story in the New York Times illustrating that Pasteur gave a misleading count of his preparation of the anthrax vaccine shall be dishonored. Seriously? The dude who invented the vaccine wasn't dishonored by an article no one gave a shit about that ran 100 years after his death. And that is what Nostradamus felt was important enough to dedicate one of only four lines to. Was that weird New York, New York Times article? It would come out so much later. That's like talking about Muhammad Ali in four lines and using one of them to discuss a biscuit he ate for breakfast once that he didn't really care about. You know, there will be a boxer who will not fight in war. He will dance like a butterfly, sting like a bee. He will change his name to three letters, not four. And one time he didn't love a biscuit he had in Tennessee. (laughs) But, you know, he did name Pasteur, right? How can you refute that? He named him. Well, because just like the Hister-Hitler situation, Nostradamus wasn't talking about Louis Pasteur. But, of course, those cable channel assholes never mention this. Uh, uh, Pasteur is French for pastor, a pastor, a religious teacher. 
The unseen isn't bacteria. He's talking about the unseen spiritual world of being a fucking pastor, any pastor, one of tens of thousands of pastors that have been in the world. Again, coincidence, nothing more. Vague nonsense, uh, intentionally vague, left to be interpreted by anyone for a variety of things. But again, none of the none of the big bullshit list articles on the internet or any of the documentaries point out that past George just, just means pastor. You have to really dig to find that, you know? He wasn't, he wasn't naming someone. He's just keeping it vague. And then there's a JFK assassination I want to bring up just because we just did the JFK two-part time suck. Um, it supposedly predicts his assassination. Let's see if it's any better. The great man will be struck down in the day by a thunderbolt, an evil deed foretold by the bearer of a petition. According to the prediction, another falls at nighttime. Conflict at Reims, London, and pestilence in Tuscany. And here's the, and here's the interpretation by believers. The great man is John Kennedy, who received numerous death threats. Petition and was gunned down Thunderbolt in the afternoon of November 22nd, 1963. Bobby Kennedy was killed just after midnight on June 5th, 1968. Another falls at nighttime. The world mourned. Conflict at Reims, London. Get the fuck out of here. You can interpret the world mourned out of conflict at Reims, London, and pestilence in T Tuscany. Tuscany? How about Dallas, motherfucker? How about a pestilence in Dallas? A city that didn't exist yet, but you should know about because you can see the future. Huh? And how about brother instead of another? Still makes the sentence flow the same way, right? At least, you know, it's a little more specific. If you say the great leader's brother falls, you know, why not even say just Robert or Bobby if you can see everything? And so on and so on and so on. Uh, you know, he predicted 9-11. He predicted Obama was the third Antichrist who would bring about the apocalypse. And then he, you know, predicted Trump as the third Antichrist who would bring about the apocalypse. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of other dudes that were the third Antichrist. All vague. Interpret it how you want bullshit again. Even his end of the world prophecy. You know, what about that? Which is that one uh, from the letter I referenced in the beginning of the episode? I tell you that I have seen it thus. There will be floods of such nature that no place on this world will not be affected. And for a long time, everything will be beneath the surface of water and everything will be destroyed with the exception of the weather and space. This is how he predicts the end of the world in a, in a letter to his favorite son, Caesar, with no reference to when it will happen. Come on, people. Just an ancient dude saying cryptic dark shit so he can feel important. Sell some more almanacs. Yet despite the fact that this stuff is obvious nonsense, Nostradamus' prophecies continue to be used uh, definitively to predict, uh, you know, current world events because many humans are still walking around our modern world with superstitious medieval brains sitting atop their shoulders. I'll wonder, you know, just for a second, who believes this shit? Like, really believes it? Then I'll drive past yet another palm-reading psychic shop and think, how is that place still open? And whoever runs and that and whoever is their customer, that's who believes this shit. <laughs> and people like Baxter Dimitri, who recently wrote an article about, uh, about how 2017 is going to be a banner year for Notre Dame. I came across this when I was researching, like, what predictions are coming up. Well, according to ace journalist Baxter Dimitri at yournewswire.com, Notre Dame has been crushing it in 2017, continuing a, quote, 500-year hot streak. Well, Baxter states that Nostradamus predicted that in 2017, the U.S. would begin a fall from power. China would begin uh, to rise in power. Global warming would be used as a trigger for war. Solar power would become a major source around the world. And commercial space flights would begin. Motherfucker. This annoys me so much. I'll tell you why. First off, none of these things have de uh, definitively happened in 2017. Is the U.S. falling from power? No. We're still the most powerful nation in the world when it comes to military might, which to me is the main indicator of power. Are we getting less powerful? Maybe. Maybe not. You know, the economy is not, you know, the best, but, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily indicate a fall from the top. You know, are we starting to slip in 2017 specifically? Maybe, maybe not. Is China getting more powerful? Yes. But did they suddenly out of nowhere start getting more powerful this year? No. It's been happening for a while. Uh, has global warming been used this year as a trigger for war? No. Does it look like it will? No. 
Is solar power suddenly a main source of power globally? Fuck no. Have commercial flights as space began? No. As, be- as bad as Elon Musk would like them to begin, still at least a few hours, few years away to really truly get out into space. So it's blatantly wrong. Second, Baxter uh, uh, doesn't cite a, a single Notre Dame quatrain or or any other of his letters or writings as proof of these predictions. That's, uh, it drives me crazy when people do that. He cites another website, express.co.uk. You go to that website. It's one of those lists, a website that repeats all the same bullshit and also doesn't reference a single piece of Notre Dame's actual writings. And I found that all over the web. All these things, talking about all these predictions Notre Dame has made, do not uh, cite Notre Dame ever. They don't like reference what he actually fucking said because if they did, people would read it and be like, what? They got that from this? Get the fuck out of here. Okay, well, if you think it came down harsh on Baxter Dimitri, uh, you know, attacking him specifically, this is his bio. Baxter Dimitri is a writer at Your Newswire. He covers politics, business, and entertainment. Speaking truth to power since he learned to talk, Baxter has traveled in over 80 countries and won arguments in every single one. Live without fear, you fucking douche. Won arguments in 80 countries. Okay. Holy, holy douchery. I looked Baxter up on Twitter at Baxter underscore Dimitri, and he looks exactly like I thought he would. Two thumbs up he's given in his cool leather, cool guy leather jacket. And one of his first tweets is complaining about fake news. The irony, the balls of Baxter to be someone who's complaining about fake news after writing that article. Oh, so Notre Dame's predictions, you know, are they legit? Uh, no. Sorry, everybody. I really do not think so at all. I don't think there's anything in them whatsoever. And I actually kind of wanted to. I really do go into all these weird like ones, you know, like the uh, cryptozoological or, or these kind of a- ancient mystery ones, uh, conspiracy ones, wanting to believe actually, you know. I've probably said it before on the podcast, but X-Files is my favorite show growing up. You know, I identified with Mulder. I, you know, I wanted to believe. I wanted to believe. I still do. But, uh, you know, you read this stuff and if you look at it, you know, with some critical thinking, it's like, nah, fucking, that's, no, uh-uh. Just a Looney Tune claiming some outrageous shit. So why does his name still have recognition? Why is he so you know popular? Well, I think because as insane as Nostradamus was, he was able to sell a lot of books during his day, and, and we love old weird books. So maybe that's part of him enduring. And you know he became popular for something people have been fascinated with since the dawn of civilization, being able to see into the future, like we discussed earlier. Seers are referenced numerous times in the Bible. The ancient Greeks had their oracles. Hunter-gatherer tribes around the world have had their medicine men. Nostradamus was part of that tradition. And because his almanacs were widely distributed and became more popular than other seers of his day, I think his name is stuck more than the other, you know, prophets. Maybe, maybe that rich widow money also helped him get a leg up on other lowly 16th century seers. He's able to get more books printed. Or maybe it's because he has a cool name, you know, Nostradamus. You know, maybe other seers didn't have good names. Maybe they had weak names, like I'm not sure this is Rhydicus. Or maybe Damus. Or I don't know, what do you what do you think of Cus? You know, that doesn't have the fucking power, that doesn't have the ring of Nostradamus. But seriously, uh, who knows exactly why he became as popular as he is, he, uh, is now. Popularity is a, is a strange, fickle beast. Uh, what really cracks me up the most is that Notre Dame may not have actually considered himself a prophet. You know, didn't believe that he could actually see into the future. Like we said earlier, just, you know, believed in history repeating itself, which I actually believe as well. You know, his predictions were based on events from the past, according to Peter Lemajour, a former Cambridge linguist and professional translator who has written at least 10 books on the Ign- uh, enigmatic figure. Uh, Notre Dame used a technique he thinks dating back to biblical times known as bibliomancy. 
Uh, Notre Dame has purportedly selected extracts from older sources, such as the Bible at random, and then used astrological calculations to project its recurrence in the future. One of the major sources used for his most famous work, the Pro- Les Prophecies, uh, was the Mirabilis Libir of 1522, an anthology of prophecies from well-known seers of the time and other popular books uh, of his day he used for astrological references. So maybe he's just pulling from a bunch of that stuff and then combine it with some weird little formula into shit that sounds cool. And, and, and despite, you know, being popular... He might not have actually been that good at, at kind of drawing these things together and that good at astrology. His contemporaries uh, criticized his astrological skills. By the time the first edition of the Prophecies was published in 1555, he'd uh, already garnered uh, quite a bit of notoriety from his almanacs, which he'd begun to publish on an annual basis beginning five years earlier, as we stated. But professional astrologers of the time criticized his incompetent methodology and failure to adjust the predictions for his clients' birth dates or place. Uh, Lawrence Videl published a pamphlet in 1558 entitled Declaration of the Abuses, Ignorances, and Seditions of Michel Nostradamus, in which he railed against both the content of Nostradamus' predictions and his lack of basic astrological skills. I love, I love fucking lunatics fighting lunatics. It's a lunatic fight, and yet his name has endured. Uh, he's been referenced as some kind of legitimate source for how things are going to go for years. His prophecies were used as propaganda during World War II. Shortly after Germany invaded Poland in 1939, Magda Goebbels, uh, the wife of Hitler's propaganda minister, stumbled upon a passage in the book Mysteries of the Sun and Soul in which one of Notre Dame's quatrains was believed to predict that crises would develop in England and Poland in 1939. After bringing the passage to her husband's attention, Joseph Goebbels, he ordered the creation and distribution of a brochure that would convince those living in neutral countries that a Nazi victory was inevitable because Notre Dame had predicted it centuries earlier. But the Allies retaliated with a bit of psychological warfare of their own, airdropping large quantities of flyers over German-occupied territories, claiming that Notre Dame had actually foreseen Germany's defeat. In an attempt to boost American morale, MGM also produced a series of short films about the famous Notre Dame. Why were both sides able to use the same messages to claim victory? Because it's vague nonsense. But so many people still believe it. Uh, Very entertaining people, I will say that. Very entertaining people uh, whose online rantings were built for my new Time Suck segment, Idiots of the Internet. Idiots of the Internet. That music you just heard uh, for the intro was created by a Time Sucker. I want to say that real quick. Big thanks to Time Sucker Benjamin Bolke. So talented, man. Thank you for sending that to me, Uh, that little... uh, that some that metal riff, that metal song for me to uh, use for Time Suck. I'd love to eventually rebuild all the music for show segments, and and only use music created by the Time Suck community. I think that'd be so cool. So if you'd like to, uh, you know, use uh, have me use your music, possibly down the road, send it to admin at timesuckpodcast.com. And again, thank you, Ben. You are uh, a badass musician. Well, uh, Nostradamus is still crazy popular, as we've said. Uh, came across so many ridiculous comments uh, from so many random nut jobs while researching him. Uh, my God, a lot of comments because, you know, his videos draw a lot of people. Recent YouTube video titled Five Nostradamus Predictions for 2017 has almost 5 million views already. Dude would be killing it if he had an Instagram account today. Uh, most of the comments on this video are sarcastically awesome. Stuff like, I have a prediction. This will be a normal year like every other year we've had. Or, I predict the narrator in this video will be kicked in his little balls in 2017. Or, I have a prediction, I'm about to fart. And, Nostradamus. I love it. Yep, came to the same thought I did with his name there. But my favorite comments uh, were the unintentional uh, comedy comments. And my favorite uh, of those was from living legend and future member of Mensa, Zach Thunder. 
<laughs> just a few days ago, YouTuber Zach Thunder left the following comment gold under this uh, 2017 Nostradamus prediction video. He says, Nostradamus died in 1566. 66, one plus five equals six. 666, Nostradamus does all caps, not no shit. Trump will not bring war three. It's the Antichrist. Ooh, want to know the future is in the Bible right there. I don't need no false testimonies of Nostradamus. This is bullshit. Wow, that is beautiful. Come on, you guys. Nostradamus does no shit. I'll prove it by referring to something equally nonsensical. The obviously evil meaning of 666. A number given significance a long time ago by someone with less education than even Nostradamus had. I love watching someone call out someone else for being for superstitious nonsense, uh, using their own superstitious nonsense as proof of them being right. Uh, well, he doesn't stop. This is one of his comments. This is more, more Zack Thunder wisdom right here. He says, weep, this will happen, but not know Trump is president. This will, all caps, happen with one world government is in power. That man, the Antichrist... <laughs> That nobody knows who he is until he's in power, a Jew decadent. Wow. Ignorant and racist, who would have guessed? So many misspellings, by the way, like a preposterous amount of misspellings. Weep is spelled W-E-A-P, for example. And apparently Mr. Thunder just (laughs) sees those spell check red lines popping up under all his words and just pushes through. Ain't going to let me be stopped, red lines. Red like Satan lines. No stopping me, devil red lines. Uh, Zach, Zach, oh God, has created a few YouTube playlists. Oh, you know, I, I gotta say, I love that he even misspelled um, Christ or Christ. You would think he would get Christ right. He's Antichrist. You would think he, he it's C R I S T. You think that'd be like well, the one word he at least got right? But he created a few uh, uh, YouTube playlists, and they're as entertaining as you might expect. One's called Project Bluebeam, and it's about chemtrails. Of course, it is. Uh, so far, uh, it has one video, and it's called Update NWO's <laughs> Project Bluebeam and the Real Reasons for Chemtrails. Comments were disabled for that video, uh, which really bummed me out. I can only imagine how ignorant they were. But then I found another video even better because Mr. Thunder has another playlist called Interesting to Watch, and it has one video again, and it's even better. It's called – I'm not making this up. <laughs> it's called Flat Earth, colon, Breeding Area 51-Interview with the Black Ops co- Colonel. Holy shit. This made me laugh so fucking hard when I found it because they, they've combined flat earth belief with Area 51 conspiracies and conspiracies about black ops all into one YouTube title. Unbelievable. Comments are enabled on this video. And so far, it only has three, two of which are by Mr. Thunder himself. Or maybe, maybe it's Dr. Thunder. Pro- probably. Probably doesn't want to include that title because he's humble, you know? It's probably maybe Reverend Dr. Thunder. He definitely could be a reverend based on what he writes, even if he can't spell Christ, even if he spells it Christ. Uh, <laughs> Maybe, maybe, uh, I think Reverend Dr. Thunder is what it is. And I think that the good Reverend, uh, writes on, on this, uh, video or this other video I just talked about, he writes, I heard everything. This will happen. A, a leader will come to bring peace. That's the anti- antichrist. This will be horrible. Oh my Lord Jesus have mercy. Holy shit. It's so fucking great. So many weird capitals sprinkled in there. And right after leaving that comment two weeks ago, Reverend Dr. Thunder felt the need to reiterate how strongly he believes it. With another comment, this is all caps true. I do believe this. Man, all caps again on is. It's important for the Reverend Dr. Thunder to make sure that you know he definitely believes what he says. And then the only other comment is from Christian Lockhart who says, very interesting to say the least, very sad. 
Uh, not sure if he's referring to the content of the video or the comments of the Reverend Dr. Thunder. Uh, really could go either way with that comment. Uh, I did I did click on Reverend Doctor's video. Of course I did. I couldn't help myself. A video uploaded by another wackadoodle, a user named uh, Earth Mall, with a picture of Darth Maul for his profile pic, who has posted numerous videos about f- either Flat Earth, uh, Satan, or from what I can tell, how Satan is involved in Flat Earth. I guess maybe because that would make hell easier to be around if it was a Flat Earth and it was definitely beneath us. I, I don't know. Anyway, this Flat Earth breeding area 51 interview with the Black, Black Ops Colonel video got me curious. Uh, turns out it's not just a video. Uh, it's not a video at all. I'm sorry. It's a phone call between Alexander Backman, a self-described Mexican journalist who appears, to, and that's not, I'm not throwing his race in there other than he just, that's what he puts on his like title. It's like, not just a journalist, he's a Mexican journalist. Uh, based on visiting his website, uh, alexanderbackman.com, he's one of the craziest people on the internet. Uh, none of the pages on his site work except for the homepage where he has embedded YouTube videos. And the first one says, why I'm, why I am in danger, Alexander Backman. And he expresses fear of being killed by dark web assassins who want him dead for opposing ISIS and for trying to help Middle Eastern Christians. I am not making any of this shit up. And when, <laughs> and when you listen to it, he has a strange combination of being extremely articulate and also extremely insane. So if proper pronunciation is more important to you than critical thinking uh, and, and at least an attempt at factual investigation, Alexander Backman is, is who you're going to want to listen to from here on out. Anyway, Alexander talks to Lieutenant Colonel S. Seen, who's going, who's going by code name instead of his real name because he doesn't want to be killed by nefarious forces or because he doesn't want to give his real name because he's not a lieutenant colonel and is instead, instead of 40-something-year-old, you know, 40-something unemployed maniac living in his mom's basement, stealing his neighbor's Wi-Fi so he can talk to Alexander Backman on Skype. And they talk about alien technology that's definitely on this planet, more that's coming to the planet, how about about how I'll never get these minutes of my life back, you know, that kind of shit. Alexander has created my favorite idiots of the internet moment for today's episode. See, I, I just love that as I do my digging, I come across this stuff I never would have found otherwise. <laughs> this is, uh, this made me, this made me laugh so hard. I literally, I started crying <laughs> when I found this. He's selling his website. But there's a stipulation. It's a, it's a big one. It's a very specific one. Uh, at the top of his website, Alexander in some text says, this site is for sale. And then there's a banner that says for sale by owner. And then, <laughs> and then next to that is just the best. He writes, only men whose names... <laughs> Sorry, this probably <laughs> just as funny for me and no one else. But he writes, only men whose names are Alexander Backman or Alex Backman will be considered as candidates upon providing lawful identification. Asking price is $5,000 U.S. in escrow account only. Do you hear what I'm saying? Oh, God. Oh, by the time, again, by the time I got through all the other shit I talked about in this segment, and then I saw what this cornball looked like, and I just, I, I have tears in my eyes right now again. It's so funny to me. He wants $5,000 for the domain name, but he will only sell it to another man who shares his exact name. And you have to prove it. And you have to prove it. He's not going to take $5,000 from some fucking wannabe Alex Blackman. Or Backman, excuse me. No, sir. He has, he has integrity. All right? You have to show your ID. You have to pay $5,000. And then you get a domain name that no one gives a shit about. Uh, this site hasn't been updated in over two years. So I'm, I'm thinking like for two years he's been waiting for the perfect offer. I wonder if there's been some close calls. You know? And, I'm th- and this is how this guy sounds when he talks, by the way. I'd love to sell you the site, but you have a middle name. You're Alexander Thomas Backman. I'm Alexander Backman. Do you understand the difference? I don't have a middle name. You do. I'm, I'm sure you can understand where I'm coming from. If, if I was selling AlexanderThomasBackman.com, then we would have a deal. But I'm selling... Hello. 
hello, are, are you still there? Are, are you still on the line? If you can hear me, please understand that only Alexander Backman can pay $5,000 for alexanderbackman.com. Wait, wait, is, is this the Reverend Dr. Thunder? Damn it, Zach, I, I told you to stop doing this. I'm trying to get a serious offer. Okay, so Nostradamus isn't the only uh, seer to get a lot of stuff wrong. He was just smarter than most, and when he left it vague and didn't assign it an exact timeline to his prediction. So, you, could, you know, it's, you, you couldn't say he definitely got it wrong. Um, here's a few other prophets that uh, did definitely get things wrong when it came to their doomsday predictions. So, uh, 365 AD, uh, we're going to start in France. Apparently, uh, medieval France had a lot of apocalyptic uh, prophecy. Uh, Hilary uh, Poitiers, an early French bishop, announced the end of the world would happen in 365 CE. He'd lived two years past his prediction. Sorry, I said AD and CE. They're synonymous. After death, referring to Christ or common era uh, with the CE. Uh, so because he, he died in 367 CE. You know, just whoops. Just kidding. Just kidding, guys. Did I, did I say 365? Oh, man. I was staring at the wrong tea leaves. Aha. Uh, it's, uh, it's 465. <laughs> Silly old me. You know, God, waking up the day after you publicly predicted the whole world was going to be uh, over has to be awkward as fuck. Just, uh, hey, hey, guys. Uh, wow. Did not, uh, did not expect to be talking to any of you today. This is, this is unfortunate. This is, I, I really thought you would all be dead. Uh, uh, we, excuse me. I really thought we would all be dead. Uh, uh, God, I wish I was dead right now. Uh, 400 CE, another French bishop, Martin of Tours, didn't learn from uh, Hillary's faux pas and stated that the world would end before 400 AD, uh, writing, there is no doubt that the Antichrist has already been born, firmly established already in his early years. He will, after reaching maturity, achieve supreme power. <laughs> oh, God, these guys. Uh, 500 AD, uh, Hippolytus of Rome, Sextus Julius Africanus, uh, Africanus and Irenaeus uh, all predicted Jesus would return. Uh, their predictions were based off of the dimensions of Noah's Ark, and all three were obviously wrong. Just, you know, just, ah, shit. I've, uh, I, forgot, I forgot we were supposed to be measuring in cubits. Okay, that's what, you know, I should have listened to Superbus. Uh, I, I was working in meters. Actually, I was, I, was, I was working in half meters. I was working in schmeters. I was working in schmeters. That's how I messed up, because schmeters aren't real, and meters haven't been invented yet. So <laughs> back to the old, that's the old drawing board for me. Uh, January 1st, 1000 uh, CE. This is a big one. Big round number equals uh, big bill sh uh, bullshit proclamation. Known as the Millennium Apocalypse, various Christian clerics predicted the end of the world in the state, including Pope Sylvester II. Riots occurred across Europe. People were all fired up. Pilgrims headed. They moved all their shit to, to Jerusalem to be there for the rapture. Uh, riots and people moving, man. And then nothing, nada again, of course. Those people who headed to Jerusalem from uh, around Europe must have been so pissed. What a surreal emotion that must be to experience. Fury at still being alive. Just what the fuck? How am I still alive, Sylvester? Re rejoice? Are you fucking kidding me? I sold all of my shit. All of it. I quit my job as the castle blacksmith. Now I'm stuck in the Middle East with a bunch of other really pissed off people. You should be, I, I should be dead now, you stupid asshole. It's not fair. We should, we're all supposed to be dead. Uh, 1033 AD. Uh, a whole bunch of other Christian scholars, after getting it wrong, in the 1000 uh, AD, uh, had a quick aha moment of, oh, wait, sorry, everybody. Did we say the world was going to end a thousand years after Jesus' birth? Okay, <laughs> that's, I misspoke. Uh, we all misspoke. We meant a thousand years after his death. After his death. Don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. We're all going to be dead by 1033 AD. And then again, obviously nothing. Man, if you were a devout Christian born in like 980 AD, you just, you just got double fucked. You sold all your shit when you were 20 totally ready to leave this world, nothing happens, you rebuild your life, 
Then at 53, you're ready to, to die again. Then nothing again. How do you listen to anything the church says after back-to-back epic fuck-ups like that? Just blah, 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 bishop. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, 1284 AD, Pope Innocent the, the Third. Uh, died in 1216. It predicted the world would end 666 years after the rise of Islam. Uh, biblical prophets love the beast number, uh, but then nada, because of course it's just a random meaningless number that we've arbitrarily uh, used to denote the passive time to give our lives some semblance of order and meaning. Uh, and it wasn't just Christian or religious people making these predictions. The uh, one just act like I'm picking on that group. Uh, on February 21st, 1584, a group of uh, astrologers in London uh, predicted the world would end by a flood starting in London based on calculations made the previous June. 20,000 Londoners left their homes and headed for higher ground in anticipation. And then 20,000 Londoners walked back home and talked a lot about how they were going to whoop some stupid astrologer ass for making them all look like assholes. Uh, and then the same astrologers who predicted uh, <laughs> the deluge of uh, February 1, 1524, recalculated the date to February 1, 1624, when their first prophecy failed. Smart call, guys. Make sure the second one is going to happen after you've all died. You can't say like 1585 or, or you don't get to walk back home without at least a serious uh, fucking butt whooping. Uh, 1688, the mathematician John Napier calculated the end of the world would be uh, – uh, uh, would be in, in 1688 based on calculations from the book of revelation. Uh, sorry. He was, yeah, yeah. He, it was 1688 is when he thought the world would end. And, and this is, this is the same guy who discovered a logarithms. So, you know, he was really good at math, just not so good at prophecies. And also he died in 1617. So he was smart enough to at least, uh, you know, make the prediction not coincide with his own lifetime. More on the book of revelation, just a bit, by the way, a lot more, uh, January 1st, 2000. Uh, and so, you know, many other predictions, hundreds, if not thousands of them, uh, apocalypse proclamations for every generation, including my favorite, you know, Y2K. Tons of people thought the world would end on January 1st, 2000, including televangelist Jerry Falwell, that genius who also let the world know that Tinky Winky, the purple Teletubby from the hit kids show Teletubbies, was modeling the gay lifestyle to children. <laughs> what a fucking moron. Uh, this is uh, also the same televangelist who, following the 9-11 terrorist attacks, said, I really believe that the pagans and the abortionists and the feminists and the gays and the lesbians who are actively trying to make that an alternative lifestyle, the ACLU, People for the American Way, all of them who have tried to secularize America, I point the finger in their face and I say, you helped this happen. Wow. What a fucking moron. This is a man who was extremely close to both President uh, George H.W. Bush and President George W. Bush, by the way. Of course he was. Uh, there, there was also Tim LaHaye and, uh, Jerry B. Jenkins, authors of the popular, uh, Left Behind Christian novels about the Christian apocalypse. And they stated that the Y2K bug would trigger global economic chaos, which the Antichrist would use to rise to power. But then as the date approached and the computer experts assured everyone that the computers were fine and they were going to fix the glitch, uh, they were like, nah, d- d- never mind. D- just kidding, everybody. Uh, false apocalypse warning. I pushed the wrong button. Whoops. <laughs> Just forget about it. Uh, clearly, a lot of apocalypse prophecies I've mentioned have an association with Christianity. Uh, plenty that don't, and I'll get to more of those uh, in a second. But first, let's talk about revelations. That's where it seems like most of it comes from. So yeah, so there are a lot of biblical references to the end of the world. Uh, the most notable ones are definitely in the book of Revelation. Uh, the blueprint for so many apocalypse predictions, uh, and I was thinking like, well, you know, what is the book of Revelation? Well, one day in about the year uh, 95 AD, a man named John supposedly had a vision from heaven The book of Revelation is John's uh, record of that vision. John was a Christian leader of of Jewish origin uh, who was in exile on the Roman prison island of Patmos. We don't know why John was exiled to Patmos, but it may have been for refusing to worship the Roman emperor uh, Domitian, uh, who had declared himself a god. Took a page out of Caligula's playbook on that one. 
Love those crazy Roman bastards. Uh, tradition says that John the Apostle was the author of both Revelation and the Gospel of John, but that is not certain. The author does not identify himself as an apostle. And here, here's a summary of what the book is all about. There's the introduction, you know, which is uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 20, where John introduces Revelation as a letter to the seven Christian churches of Asia Minor. He states that uh, it is a revelation given to him by Jesus through an angel. And then there's the seven letters. Uh, the one, like a son of man, dictates seven messages for John to send to the seven churches in Asia Minor. A letter of several paragraphs is addressed to each of the seven churches. Each message praises the church community for its strengths and urges community members to correct their weaknesses. So fair enough. You know, sounds nice so far. It's all positive so far. And then uh, by the time you get to chapter four, you get to a vision of heaven, where John has a vision of an open door to heaven. Uh, that sounds cool. Uh, he sees the throne of God in the heavenly court. Sounds nice. Sees a scroll with seven seals in the right hand of God, but no one is found worthy to open it except a lamb. So, you know, okay. All right. Lamb, the Jesus, you know, sacrificial lamb, you know, reference uh, still nothing, you know, nothing negative. And then, uh, you know, he gets to the sixth uh, chapter and it's, it's about the opening of the seven seals. The lamb opens the seven seals. The scroll as each is opened. It reveals one aspect of human suffering or human destiny. Okay, you know, the suffering doesn't sound great. You know, this is intriguing, though. I'm listening. And then we get to the seven trumpets by chapter 8. Uh, as each of the seven trumpets is blown, a plague is unleashed upon the earth. Okay, oh, shit, wait a minute. Ho, 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 ho. Okay, okay. I'm not so happy about the plagues. Here come the plagues. This is not going to be good. And then by the time you get to chapter 12, uh, it's about a woman, a dragon, and a child. A woman about to give birth appears in the sky. A red dragon with seven heads and ten horns also appears, waiting to devour the woman's child. The woman gives birth, and she and the child escape. War breaks out in heaven. Michael and his angels battle against the dragon. The dragon is thrown down to earth. The dragon is angry and makes war against the faithful Christians of earth. Holy shit. Uh, John went big here. He went big. A dragon being born in the sky with seven heads and ten horns. Uh, weird horn to, to head ratio. I gotta say that. Unusual amount of horns. Curious why he didn't just go with seven horns seven heads i, I personally uh would have went with 14 horns for seven heads i like a nice pair of horn uh to head ratio uh for each of these crazy fucking terrifying dragon heads then it gets even crazier then there's the beast from the sea by chapter 13 a beast with seven heads and 10 horns emerges from the sea it has a blasphemous name on each head it, it is like a leopard but with feet like a bear and a mouth like a lion the dragon gives it great power and authority over every tribe language and nation what in the fuck the acid Really kicking in here. John is clearly tripping his balls off. Uh, it just went from Dungeons and Dragons to barely hanging on to a thread of reality because my of uh, the drugs in my head. Again, again uh, sticking with the bad horn to head ratio. That's unusual. Threw a lot of animal references into that one. It's like he couldn't decide between bear, leopard, and lion. He's like, ah, it's all those things. It's a part of all those things. And it's working with the dragon. And then we get to uh, chapter 13, the beast from Earth. Another beast comes up uh, out of the Earth. It has two horns like a lamb, but speaks like a dragon. It deceives the inhabitants of Earth. No one can buy or sell who does not bear the mark of the beast. One with wisdom can calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a person. It is number is 666. So dragon lamb, very creative. Lots of creativity points for that one. And then there's the 666 we all know about now. Uh, you don't get to buy groceries unless you take the dragon lamb sweet 666 number. Makes total sense. Making a lot of sense right now. And then we get to the lamb and the 144,000 by chapter 14. That's when John sees the lamb standing on Mount Zion with the 144,000 sealed by the angel. They must have been, uh, they have been redeemed from mankind as the first fruits for God and the lamb. And that's how you get Jehovah's Witnesses. That's where they, that's where they come from. Uh, those, those people love the 144,000 reference. And I'm not just shit talking. That's, they think that only 144,000 people are going to heaven. It's just, it's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> 
<laughs> need to be ridiculously offensive, I guess. It's just I don't fucking get it. Uh, and it goes on about the three angels, the seven bowls of God's wrath, the whore of Babylon, the fall of Babylon, rejoicing in heaven, the rider on the white horse, Satan is bound for a thousand years, the judgment of the dead, the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, and then it closes out with Christ's promise to return soon. You know, he gets Revelation chapter 20. Says he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is of the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. And so on and so on and so on. It gets fucking, you know, just keeps going with the, on the nut train. <laughs> that shit makes even less sense than Nostradamus' quatrains. That superstitious, fundamentalist, you know, stuff that weirdos fear. Can you please stop believing that? I mean, believe in Jesus if you want to. Fine. I, fine. Fine. If that makes you feel good, great. But can we please... Stop with the revelations. Can we stop with the fucking dragons and the 666 and the 10 horns with the seven heads? It's, seven, it's 2017. Come on, man. Come on. We've had iPhones for a long time now. We have really good computers. Scientists have come a long way since being 16th, 16th century turd checkers. Right? Let's, let's knock it off with all the gobbledygook. But it's not just Christians. That's, you know, the most recent big Armageddon scare actually came from the Mayan calendar. You know? Remember? Remember when the world was definitely going to end in 2012? says the judgy podcast asshole in 2017, the intolerant asshole speaking now. So what's the, so what's the mind calendar all about? 2012 uh, mind calendar predictions. Let's talk about that. The mind calendar is a system of three interlacing calendars and almanacs, all, this, all these fucking almanacs, uh, which was used by several cultures in Central America, most famously the Mayan civilization. The Maya calendar is uh, cyclical. The calendar dates back to at least the 5th century uh, BCE and is still in use in a few Mayan commun communities around today. The Mayan calendar moves in cycles with the last cycle ending December 2012. Well, the Mayan calendar consists of three separate corresponding calendars, the long count, the divine calendar, and the civil calendar. Time is cyclical again in the calendars and a set number of days must occur before a new cycle can begin. The three calendars are used simultaneously. The divine and the civil calendars identify the name of the days, but not the years. The long count date comes first, then the divine date, then the last civil date. So like a, a Mayan date could read 13.0.0.0.0.4 ahu 8 kumku, where the 13 and the zeros is the long count, the 4 ahu is the divine date, and the 8 kumku is the civil date. Well, the long count is an astronomical calendar which was used to track longer periods of time what the Mayans call the universal cycle. Each such cycle is calculated to be 2,880,000 days, about 7,885 solar years. The Mayans believe that the universe is destroyed and then recreated at the start of each universal cycle. And the Mayan calendar completed its last great cycle of the long count on December 21st, 2012, when it reached, you know, 13 and then all zeros. And the only thing that happened, uh, world didn't end, as we know, uh, but Korean pop sensation Psy Gangnam Style video did become the first video to reach 1 billion views on YouTube. So, <laughs> maybe maybe it was counting down to that. Maybe that, you know, Gangnam Style song was just that important that the Mayans were thinking about it. So why did nothing happen, though? Why didn't it work? Because the fucking Mayans didn't know shit about the apocalypse. You know, they didn't, they didn't know shit about any of that stuff. If they were so smart, they would have seen the Spaniards coming and figured out how not to be slaughtered, how not to be taken over quickly. It's all nonsense. All nonsense once again. All, all the major religions of the world do reference some kind of end times because, you know, uh, all of them were written a long time ago when people believed in dragons and sea serpents and angry gods and uh, all that shit because they had no concept whatsoever of how the world works. 
Uh, like in Islam, many Muslims believe the end is coming. ISIS is trying to actively bring about the apocalypse, as we discussed in the ISIS episode. Uh, the Shiite clerks of Iran believe that uh, Mahdi is a child of Muhammad, the hidden imam, and the twelfth imam. And they argue that Muhammad al-Mahdi was born a thousand of years or thousands of years ago and disappeared to reappear later when certain signs emerge, and those signs are emerging now. And there's other apocalyptic Muslim leaders of the Islamic State who believe that Mahdi has not yet been born, but this is the time he is going to be born. You know, he's going to appear now. Of course, every generation thinks it's their time. Uh, the the Buddhists, uh, Buddhists also believe the Buddhist Wheel of Time does predict a future war that will end the world through epic battles and seven suns and a golden age uh, in Hinduism. The end time occurs when Kalki, the final inca- incarnation of Vishnu, uh, descends atop a white horse and brings an end to the current uh, Kali Yuga. Uh, Judaism believes in the end of days. The Jewish people believe that uh, this isn't the final end of the world, but merely the end of history as we know it. After the end of days, the world will continue as usual, with a big exception that there will be world peace. Every major religion has some vision of, of the world as we know it ending, even dead religions like Norse mythology. Norse mythology depicts the end of days as Ragnarok, an old Norse term translatable as Twilight of the Gods. It will be heralded by a devastation known as the Fimbulvetner, uh, which will seize Midgard in cold and darkness. The sun and moon will disappear from the sky and poison will fill the air. Dead will rise from the ground and there will be widespread despair and on and on. You know, even Nimrod has predicted the end. You know, I was reading Book of Nimrod, chapter 666, verse 666, page 666. Uh, He says, Nimrod will unleash Bojangles upon humanity. A great gerbil lizard thingy will spring forth from where his fourth leg will rest. And the great gerbil lizard thingy will poke the people of Earth with giant sparklers that burn people, but not in a fatal way, but in a way that is super annoying and makes you kind of worry about getting your eye poked out and makes you say things like, Sir, come on, stop it. And then Bojangles will piss RC Cola upon the Earth and it will be cool and refreshing at first and it will extinguish the sparklers and people will rejoice. But then even more RC Cola will come out and it'll keep coming out and out and soon we will all drown in the cola we thought was no longer being sold anymore, but still actually is in some places if you look in the right aisles. Seriously, I really see it sometimes. And then in chapter 667, Nimrod says, get the fuck out of here. None of that shit is happening. Come on, that's crazy talk. Now get back to stomping puppies before I kill all of you. Seriously, a lot of apocalyptic beliefs out there. And you know how many have come true? Uh, Like I said earlier, zero, exactly zero. So don't worry about the world ending. Not that any of you, you know, were worried about that. But uh, if a part of you was, stop it. Just stop it. Worry about cancer. Worry about crossing the street. Don't worry about Armageddon. No way. Enjoy your time on Earth. Be humble enough to know it's it's probably going to keep spinning long after you or I are gone. Yeah, maybe some, you know, nuclear, <laughs> nuclear uh, war, you know, will happen and, and destroy all of us. But probably not. You know, we, we just always want to think it's our, you know, our generation is going to have the coolest or biggest or most devastation or whatever. But, you know, probably not. We're all insignificant. None of us are major characters in some apocalyptic tale. We're not that important. You want an apocalypse fix? Uh, read Stephen King's The Stand, you know? Uh, speaking of Stephen King earlier, read that one. That's an excellent book about uh, the end of times or, you know, for civilization. R- read The Walking Dead, graphic novels. That's a little po- apocalyptic in its way, you know, with the zombie apocalypse, you know? They're, they're, they're better than the show, I think, the books. Or, or do watch the show. I think it's gotten pretty good again, too. But, but don't worry about ancient visions. Don't worry about what Nostradamus was shit-talking, you know? They're not good for anything other than some very fun entertainment uh, for exposing the insane thoughts of people like the Reverend Dr. Thunder. Well, I hope you had fun with this one. I hope I didn't get too heavy-handed. Uh, again, if you're a religious person, you know, this is just my opinion. You can sit there and think like, no, it's fucking true, Dan. You just don't get it. And you know what? I don't know. I haven't been dead. <laughs> Maybe you're right. But it doesn't make sense to me. 
But uh, again, I do love that we can all uh, listen to things. I, I see the comments on iTunes, especially lately, like fun podcast. Don't necessarily agree with his thoughts, but really love it. That's perfect. That makes that makes me almost happier than the ones who are just like everything's great. Uh, I, I love being able to communicate with people who strongly disagree with me on some stuff, and 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 then we can have fun with it. And this there was a lot of fun stuff on this one. I especially liked the uh, the stuff I came across in the idiots of the internet. God, that made me laugh harder than I've laughed in a long time. Uh, and let's hit the highlights again uh, before we get out of here with some top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, even if you have a terrible doctor, they're not medieval terrible. Unless during your last checkup, they asked for a stool sample to stare at instead of examine under a microscope or said the best course of treatment was to cover you in leeches and drain your blood. In that case, get a new doctor. Number two, Nostradamus did not name Hitler in a prophecy. He named a German river, which, uh, you know, a little bit different than a dictator. Number three, do not read the book of Revelation if you've just taken some hallucinogenic drugs unless you want to live inside a dragon-infested nightmare. My God. Number four, you can buy alexanderbackman.com if and only if you're willing to spend $5,000 US and if your name is also exactly Alexander Backman. And number five, uh, new info. Uh, according to the New York Times, in the days following the 9-11 attacks, the top search term on Google was Nostradamus. Wow. For a dude who batted zero, who got 0% of his prophecies right while making roughly 1,000 of them, he has some serious name recognition long, long after his death. Uh, we should all be so lucky. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Well, thanks, suckheads, for listening to some doomsday prophecies this week. So many people still obsessed with Armageddon and the nonsense, nonsensical quatrains of Notre Dame. Uh, thanks to everyone at the Living Podcariously, Burn It Down, and the Gallows Humor Podcasts. Uh, I just uh, was a guest on all of those recently. All are available to listen to wherever podcasts are downloaded. Man, Central Florida, tight with the podcast community game. Uh, a mediocre time with Tom and Dan really started something special there. And, and, and if you want to come check out some of my stand-up, I'll be at the Laughing Skull Lounge in Atlanta, uh, July 27th through 30th. And I'll be at the Tampa Improv in Ebor, uh, August 3 through the 6th. And, and be sure to follow Time Suck on social media. I will get those accounts going again very soon, possibly by the time you're hearing this. Uh, but very soon, uh, my social media volunteer leaving for Europe and me forgetting to change the accounts over uh, will soon just be a laughable memory. Uh, and those are at Time Suck Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, slash Time Suck, uh, podcast, uh, Time Suck Podcast on Facebook. So again, that's at Time Suck Podcast on Instagram and Twitter, and then slash Time Suck Podcast on Facebook. Fridays, you'll be able to hear previews of next Monday's uh, Time Sucks if, if you follow Time Suck on those social media accounts. And some other cool stuff uh, I don't even want to mention now because I, I, I don't want uh, anyone expecting them soon in case it takes me a little bit to get them going. It might take a few weeks, but I got some other good thoughts on fun things to do on there. And, uh, and you can spread the suck uh, by sharing that little preview video, by the way. And then next week, we are sucking on the Texas Rangers. Very excited for that, for their insane tales of uh, heroism, overall badassery. Uh, kicked off in the early 20th century as a group of citizen soldiers, the Texas Rangers protected American settlers from Native Americans, clashed with Mexican soldiers at the border, transformed into an epic law enforcement agency in, in the late 19th century. Uh, remember uh, from a recent uh, Bonnie and Clyde episode, took a retired Texas Ranger, Frank Hamer, to track, catch, and kill Bonnie and Clyde when no one else could get a hold of them in the early 20th century. We'll examine some of the lives of men who stopped Wild West gunslingers, prevented presidential assassination attempts, and just did so much cool shit that, you know, the living legend Chuck Norris, uh, you know, decided to portray a Texas Ranger on TV because being a Texas Ranger is the only thing cooler than being Chuck Norris. So, 
pretty impressive. Uh, I think it's a really positive, just fun episode. And uh, and keep spreading the suck, man. Please please do. Uh, check out that sweet uh, Bojangles tea made out of 213% imported koala anus treated with gerbil saliva for extra softness. Uh, remember that those who suck together stay together. And goddamn, keep on sucking, everybody. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.